I'm doing what I, what I do a lot, and that is it, it takes me a minute to sort of warm up a little, warm myself up. <laughs> and uh, um, I wanted to give you a little bit of background on, uh, and I'm here today and I'm here next Sunday. We're going to be talking about a couple of things that I've been observing um, among my brothers and sisters in the, in, the, in the church, in the body of Christ, over the last year. And uh, this morning we're going to be talking a little bit about fear. So we're going we're to deal with that. So let me see. Uh, the first thing I'd like to see is that first Frederick Beekner quote. It says, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Uh, Frederick Beekner, uh, I was introduced to him back in 1977. It was the year I was ordained to ministry. Somebody gave me a copy of uh, a collection of his essays. Um, he's a Christian um, uh, minister that was on the East Coast. He's pretty much made his living as a writer rather than a preacher, but um, he has been a source of tremendous encouragement and assurance to me all the years that I've been in ministry. And um, uh, I steal his stuff and uh, quote him often because um, it means a lot to me, and I'm hoping that it means will mean something to you too. So this is the first one this morning, um, but uh, you're going to hear from... Uh, Beekner a couple more times before we're done this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, so if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Matthew chapter 16, um, we're going to go there now. Let's have a prayer, word of prayer as we begin. Lord, thank you for your presence with us. Lord, we cannot face this life without you. Everything about our experience in this world is fraught with, with danger and uh, concern. But with you, we can face anything. We can do anything. We can endure anything. With you, Lord, n- nothing is impossible, as, as the scripture says. So, Lord, come. Be with us today. Comfort us. Encourage us. Give us that deep assurance that you are with us, that you are for us, and that we are the object of your affection. You love us. So come today. May your Holy Spirit speak deeply to our hearts, to our spirits, that we might draw draw closer to you and live in the reality of your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. 
You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? This is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. There's a friend of mine who tells a story about her eldest son, Jeff, who adored his grandfather more than any other mortal on the planet. One day the boy was about two, maybe two years old, a little older maybe. He went with his granddaddy for a ride in the car. And this was way before seatbelt laws. And so Jeff rode standing up on the seat with his arm around his grandfather's neck. Suddenly a dog ran out in front of the car, and Jeff's grandfather reached over to grab him, protect him, and at the same time slammed on the brakes. And he couldn't break the boy's fall entirely, And so little Jeff's head smacked the dashboard, not so that it hurt him too bad, but it smacked him pretty good. And once, and he he howled for about five minutes. But once he had kind of caught his breath and collected himself and was able to speak, he looked through his wet eyelashes at his beloved grandfather and said, Papa... What did I do wrong? Yeah. My reaction to, no. (laughs) When I hear stories like that, it makes me want to sit down and have a good cry myself. Because that child's loss of innocence is something that every human being has to face, has to suffer. We get through two or ten or twenty years of our lives believing in a universe that rewards good and punishes evil. Until one day, life slams on its brakes and we learn the awful truth. You can do everything right and still get hurt. Goodness is no protection from pain. Now, I don't know what you've been taught all your life, but my guess is that you've learned this lesson. We all have that moment when our innocence is crushed. If life teaches us that core truth, then our faith, it confirms it. Jesus was as good as it gets, 
and still he suffered pain. All kinds of pain. Not just physical pain, but also spiritual pain and emotional pain. And by facing into that, instead of running away from it, he showed us a stunning new way to live. But few of us have the courage to follow him. You know, in spite of everything he said and did, most of us still cling to our own version of the truth, namely, that if we are very, very good, God won't let anything bad happen to me. I will be protected. I will be spared. This is a great perversion of the gospel. But it's also very human, isn't it? As humans, as human as Peter's response. When Jesus broke the, the bad news to his disciples for the very first time, Peter's response was very much an expression of this sort of strange human way we look at things. Jesus was going to die, he told them, and it was going to be awful, bloody, painful, humiliating. He didn't want them to be fooled, though. When the time came, they were not to believe Jesus' death as some horrible mistake that should have been avoided. They were to believe that God was in it, working to turn his hurt flesh into a body that would last forever. That was what he wanted them to know. But Peter, being Peter, heard only the first part. The suffering and the death part. And then he exploded. God, forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. It's hard to tell what's going on in Peter's head. I mean, plenty of people have said that he was putting his own agenda ahead of God's agenda and that he should never, ever have used God's name to challenge God's will. I've heard it taught that way. The further I get along, I'm not sure that's... My own interpretation is a lot simpler than that, and I think it goes more like this. I just think that Peter loved Jesus so much that he just didn't want him to die. He loved him so much that he was trying to protect him. And I also think that death was the worst fear that Peter had, and that Jesus' reference to his own death cranked up Peter's fear of death so high that he couldn't stand it. God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. Why? Well, because if it can happen to you, then it can happen to me. 
It can happen to anyone, and nobody is safe. If Jesus was vulnerable, then so is everybody else. And that was what Peter was protesting strongly. But Jesus' response to him was just as strong. Jesus' response is, is kind, of, kind of takes my breath away a little bit. He goes, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine being Peter at that moment? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you're, getting your, you, you're setting your mind on divine things, not on divine things, but on human things. This is the harshest rebuke that Jesus gives to anyone in all the Gospels. But his use of the word Satan lets us know just how tempted Jesus was by this approach. Peter's suggestion that he should be spared matched something inside of Jesus. Now, we know that later in the Gospels, we, he will pray the same thing for himself before he died. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But meanwhile, God had given him a vision of his death that was not all dark. This vision leaked light. There was clearly something that lay beyond Jesus' death. And he knew his job was to walk toward it instead of running away from it. It was a vision he tried to share with his disciples by daring them to follow him. If they were not afraid to lose their lives, he told them, they might be just surprised to find them. The image he used was a cross, which at that time had no religious meaning at all. I mean, since Jesus had not died on the cross yet, and the church hadn't incorporated as a symbol of of their faith and their theology, at that time, this cross was just simply the method of execution that was preferred by the Roman government. It struck fear into people's hearts the same way that a hangman's noose or an electric chair or a lethal injection strikes fear into us today. There were days when the road leading into Jerusalem was lined with crosses, each of them bearing the dead or dying body of someone whose public execution was meant to scare everybody who saw it. Crucifixion was not only a very efficient form of punishment, it was also a very effective form of intimidation. It reinforced the idea that death was the most awful thing in the world and that people with any sense would do anything in their power to avoid it. So telling his disciples to pick up their crosses, Jesus defied that whole idea. The whole idea that the Roman government, in its use of crucifixion as a 
form of execution. Jesus was defying the whole idea. Not only it was a political statement, but it was a really theological and practical one too. He's trying to teach them something really, really critically important. He was suggesting that there were worse things that de- in de- than death in the world and that living in fear was near the top of that list. If they were going to let their fear run their lives, then fear would become their God. The only standard for their behavior would somehow would become some would become how much something scared them or not that was the measure if it did not scare them they would do it if it did scare them they would avoid it and when their anxious days finally came to an end and they do come to an end because death cannot be avoided forever after all I've done, I've done uh, some extensive research on this. And uh, studies show that 100% of people on planet Earth die. So he was telling them this, that once their anxious days finally came to an end, if they had been living their life avoiding death, afraid of death, then they would discover that they had never really lived at all. But that was not the only choice that they had. See, instead of surrendering themselves to their fear, they could surrender themselves to God. They could deny the public, the panic-stricken voice inside of them. The one that kept telling them to just play it safe. This is kind of a theme. It's been coming through to us all year. Through the media, through almost every form of communication. It's all been about safety. We all have to be safe. We have to take, we have to, uh, you know, avoid, avoid even the, the, the possibility. And it's become sort of this, the thing that, that has sort of swept us all along, all year long. I mean, this is a human thing. It's been going on since Jesus' time, but it's been really the focus of our whole existence for a year. But Jesus is challenging us to listen to another voice. The one that says, wake up. Follow me. Don't be afraid. That voice has never promised safety. It has always promised life. It has never offered freedom from pain. It has only offered freedom from fear. Let me uh, read another little passage from, uh, from Beekner. 
if I can get to it. He writes, Christ never promises peace in the sense of no more struggle and suffering. Instead, he helps us to struggle and suffer as he did in love for one another. Christ does not give us security in the sense of something in this in the sense of something in this world, some cause or some principle or some value which lasts forever. Instead, he tells us that there is nothing in this world that is forever. All flesh is grass. He does not promise us unlonely lives. His own life speaks loud of how in a world where there is little love, love is always lonely. Instead of all these, the answer that he gives, I think, is himself. If we go to him for anything else, he may send us away empty, or he may not. But if we go to him for himself, I believe that we go away always with this deepest of all our hungers filled. Now, I don't believe that we all have to get ourselves killed in order to follow Jesus. Now, there are some people who've done that, and we call them saints or they're the martyrs. You can read them in Fox's Book of Martyrs, all kinds of them, and it's happening still today. We call them saints. But God seems to allow the rest of us a little broader understanding of the cross than that. There's another place in the Gospels, Gospel of Luke, in chapter 9. And Jesus, in that passage, also tells followers to take up their crosses daily, which sounds more like a way of life than a death wish. He doesn't tell them to go find their crosses either, because he's pretty sure they already know right where they are. He just encourages them to go ahead and pitch, pick those wretched things up to stop covering them up and tripping over them and pretending that they're not there. He urges them to squat down and get a hold of them so they can find out for themselves that there is more to life than being afraid of death. 2,000 years later, Our own crosses don't have much to do with standing up to the Roman government and facing crucifixion. But fear is timeless, isn't it? We sure have found out about that this year. And my guess is that each of us has something of which we are deathly afraid. Maybe it's the fear of admitting an addiction that is eating away at your life. Or maybe it's the fear of tackling a memory that still has the power to just suck the breath out of you every time it comes up. Or maybe it is the fear of standing up for something that you believe in. Or telling the truth about who you really are 
to people who are going to reject you or damn you for it. Maybe it's the fear of discovering that you have an illness that no medicine can cure or that your child does or that a friend does. Whatever it is that scares you to death so that you start offering to do anything, anything at all, if it will just go away, that's your cross. And if you leave it lying there, it will kill you. If you turn away from it, God forbid it. If you turn away from it with the, with the excuse that this should never have happened to you, then you deny God the chance to show you the greatest mystery of them all. That there, right there, in the dark fist of your deepest, darkest fear is the door to abundant life. Now, I can't really say more than that. I don't dare. Or God, or God might test me on it. <laughs> but Jesus does dare. And he says, stop running from your cross. Reach down. Pick it up. It isn't nearly as scary once you get your hands on it. And no one is asking you to handle it alone. All you have to do is believe in God more than you believe in your fear. Then pick it up. Come on with me. And I will show you the way to the door. Me too. <laughs> One more from Beekner. Close your eyes and just listen to this. It's a beautiful thing. He writes, It is a world of magic and mystery, of deep darkness and flickering starlight. It is a world where terrible things happen and wonderful things too. It is a world where goodness is pitted against evil, love against hate, order against chaos, in a great struggle where often it is hard to be sure who belongs to which side because appearances are endlessly deceptive. Yet for all of its confusion and wildness, it is a world where the battle goes ultimately to the good, who live happily ever after, and where in the long run everybody, good and evil alike, becomes known by his true name. That is the fairy tale of the gospel, with, of course, one crucial difference from all the other fairy tales, which is that the claim made for it is that it is true. That it only happened that it that it ha that it not only happened once upon a time, but has kept on happening ever since and is happening still.
So in closing, please now receive this blessing. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.